Welcome back, everybody, to the Free Mind Podcast. Back at it, babe. We're back. Sunday night, Sunday night recording. Got the chicken already, uh, not basted. Marinade. Season. Season. Marinade. We're hit that old Emerald uh, air fryer on tonight, so I'm excited about it. We might have to cut this podcast short, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Start dinner earlier. <laughs> um, exactly. Early. Yes. So I'm excited about that. But uh, good to be back with you guys. Um, we have been trying to build this case, you know, just talking about where do we go from here? You know, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, are we going to kind of continue down the separatist, pietist avenue that many of our churches have and that kind of we grow I've grown up in as well uh we're gonna kind of stick with the defensive evangelical side or is maybe they're a positive more constructive thing we can build with the reformed Kuyperianism. um but every now and then something like comes through that we have to address and so yeah. I think we're we're at one of those seasons now where like this stuff with Ukraine and Russia is going on and there is some overlap with what we try to cover on this podcast. And uh, I think one of those elements um, we'll talk about here tonight, but we're, you know, we're, we're like many of you, we are like in the throes of full-time job, school. And so it can be hard like to get to the bottom of some of these issues. There, there have been pockets throughout the time we've been doing this podcast where we've had more free time yeah. to really, really, really dig deep on what's going on in these cultural elements. I, I think of the, you know, the BLM stuff going on. I was, I was putting in a lot of time going down all kind of rabbit yes, holes. Yes, you were. Yes, exactly. Tons of time. Tons of time, like hours and hours of research. Good, but, though. but what do you do? You know, yeah. when you like you guys like us, like when you, you just, you literally don't have the time to look into these things to see what's really going on behind the curtain. Well, I think there are some um, resources we can we that I kind of depend on to help do the legwork for that. But there are a few things that I think we can look to. Um, and so when this happened, I can't remember if it was like a week and a half ago or so. But when I when I saw it, I immediately was my my antenna started you know dinging no my spot my spotty sense was I'm going sure, off yeah. um and the reason is like you know playing basketball um use use my basketball analogy when you first start playing against someone as a defender um you'll you might get tricked by them a couple times right but then you start to notice they have patterns to okay. their to their trickery patterns. so like you know the guy's gonna cross you up and so you see his eyes kind of get big and he and he leans to the right so he's like uh and then crosses you. So after after a couple times, you know his move, right? Mm -hmm. You get his move, and you don't get fooled by that right. anymore. Um, and so that that you know that same thing I think works with what we're going on with the media jukes. Ooh. And so um, you have these coordinated processes. You know, it, I think it started back for us when we were just uh, completely shocked when when Trump won the election after all the polls supposedly were right. like there there was saying everyone was saying like 99% yeah. chance there's there's no chance and then that happens and i think it alerted to everybody like what's going on with the media have and so then they start the russia gate thing then they start the ukraine impeachment thing then they do the they jump on the woke train that doing pushing all the stuff then covid hits by no this doubt, time, no we we see them. We we know exactly the moves they do, right? And so this time, when I saw who was supporting 
the mainstream narrative, mm. I immediately said, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but I know that's not the case. <laughs> um, if there's anything you can count on, if George Soros, Nancy Pelosi, no Biden, CNN, World Economic Forum, uh, if they're all promoting it, and even Fox News, you could throw them in there now, then you can pretty much know that that's false, even if you don't know what the case is. So I do think we want to we want to touch this with sensitivity today because, you know, there is something going on in Ukraine. People we know, churches, Christians out there, people are suffering, people yeah. are dying. Uh, there's there's some there's some bad stuff going on. And we don't want to diminish that or be cavalier about that in any way. Um, and we're also, when we're going to critique some of the, the narratives that are going on, what we're not saying in that is that uh, Putin is a good guy because we're challenging um, the Soros narrative. Correct. That's good. So, you know, there could be, first of all, in any case like this, there could be multiple bad guys, right? You could have Thanos and you could have uh, <laughs> right. Loki or, you know, you, yeah. you, you don't know, like, you know, who's a good guy, who's a, who's a bad guy. It's, what's the mix? What's the history? All these kinds of things. But what I do know is like whenever I see like the, a social media flurry now happen, mm. the first thing I do and the first thing I recommend you to do is pause. Find out who's agreeing with it. Because you know that there, you got this cast over here that have proven themselves to be untrustworthy. Yeah, they are liars. They have a they have an agenda going on. And uh, you know, I've been studying this stuff now. I have been able to look in this for the past couple of years. But the World Economic Forum is a globalist enterprise. Um, Klaus Schwab, all these guys, the Davos, Davos, Davos crowd. Um, they they gather every year to try to plan the future for humanity. And I've read uh, COVID-19 and the great reset with the co- that Klaus Schwab co-authored. And it's basically, it lays out the plan. The plan is globalism. It's, it's socialism. It's getting rid of national boundaries. It's kind of this one world government where the UN and, and, and the world economic forum tells all of humanity what they, they give them their rights. So it's a totalitarian statist mentality where you have this elite circle of people. Um, they have economy, they have scientists and the, you know the one of the taglines was you'll own nothing and, and you'll be, be happy, happy. right <laughs> yeah. um, so Crazy, it is it's, yeah. a, it's a socialist agenda it's radically woke in its um, ideology radical egalitarianism um, they're even depopulationists and so they think there are too many human beings you know they're they're very much on the the climate change tip so all these tick basically if you look up the Democratic Party platform you'll see it's it's right along line with the World Economic Forum but the World Economic Forum if you can believe it is maybe even a little bit worse. Um, and it's out there. I don't know how or why they're there. Right. Like no one's, I mean, not no one, but it's like, it's yeah. alarming when you read some of the stuff, it but is. When, even if you, as you recap this right now, it's like, hello, depopulationist. Yes. And, and it, yeah. Um, people won't believe socialism. sometimes I have to show them that Bill Gates clip where he's like, you know, if we can, if we can just get the vaccines, right, we can knock the population down by about 15%. And then, and it's literally on there. It's literally on, you can look it up right now. I could put the through link. I'll probably put that. Yeah. Through vaccines is, is one of the methods. That's thought too. worthy. That's um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think we can bring that yeah. in, in the future um, and, and show wow. some of that stuff. But the world economic forum, it, okay. it you, like you said, it lays it. Sometimes the language is code. You okay. have to kind of see through it. And oddly enough, they try 
tried to retract that that line about you'll own nothing and be happy. Okay. And they were trying it's to say, no, 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 that wasn't like an aim. It was just a description. But I found an article where a person on the board was actually writing that and, and promoting it. So they were trying to lie and cover that up. But I, I caught them with the old screenshot. Get them with the screenshot. You know what I'm saying? But um, just okay. if you know the mentality of those folks then that's going to play into whatever they're supporting. So when they're in, when you see this coordinated effort and all okay. of a sudden same language, yeah. same thing breaks out, the Mockingbird media is repeating it. You see it on social media, your favorite Hollywood people, all those things are coalescing, then you can know for sure that something's going on there. Um, and so, again, wow. that doesn't give you an answer for what is going on, yeah. but it should make you pause. And, and please, 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 even if you did this on this past one, they didn't get me with the juke this time because I didn't repost. Everybody was reposting this stuff, you know. Okay. Um, and so the, I said, OK, I'm, uh, they got us, I think, uh, like a few years ago, we were reposting it, whatever was coming across, you know, if it's the black square, or if it's this, like jump on the social media train and you got to virtue, you got to let everybody know where you stand on this stuff. You know, um, now, again, I think when I see that, I'm like, OK, pause. Let's wait. Let's be cool headed. Yeah. Let's, Let's see what start the wants. research process and see what's really going on, especially when those folks that want to take away your freedom in America, want to take away the freedom in Canada. They're the ones calling for freedom chants for these other countries. So that, that should be an alert. I think that's one key moving forward. We should just, we should just decide that like, like as our Fremont audience, let's decide that moving forward. If that cast of characters is promoting something, don't help them promote it. Mm. Pause, ask questions. So in asking questions, I think there's things that you would need to uh, to recognize to really have a grasp on the narrative here. Like, what does Putin stand for? What does Zelensky stand for? What's the history of Russia and Ukraine? What's really going on there? Um, is it is it kind of this simplistic narrative that we're going to talk about? Now, I'm going to basically play a lot from John Harris. He does a podcast called Conversations, Conversations That Matter. And he's a great, you know, I think a, a, a very careful historian. He does a lot on critical theory, critical race theory, wokeness in the church, particularly. He's written a few books, social justice and Christianity, that kind of thing. But he, um, I like referencing him because he's a careful thinker and he does his best to analyze things in terms of a biblical perspective. Now, what he shares on here as well, he kind of reluctantly did a podcast on this as well because he's like, this isn't my area. And he understands as a historian that historical things like what we're seeing right now are often more complicated than what they seem like on the surface. And the tendency is always to just oversimplify and and create one really good guy, one really bad guy. Sometimes it is roughly that. That that could be roughly the case. You know, the Bible has no problem calling certain kings wicked, certain kings good, and then there's everything in between. But oftentimes, especially when there's political agendas involved, you get a distortion of the case. You get a caricature. And so as a careful historian, he didn't want to wade into that. But the reason he did is because um, he just felt like, again, Big Eva took their cue. That's another that's another test. So I look at Soros. I look at Pelosi. I look at Biden and I look at Big Eva because they're always right on track with them. And so whatever they're saying, again, just go the other direction or pause and wait. Um, But John saw that as well. And so he said, well, let me just I've I've read a few books on this issue. But what he's going to do through this episode is basically just discuss the three main narratives that are floating around about this event. 
at what's going on. Again, challenging the mainstream narrative is not to prop up Putin um, or to take a Russian side, but it is to say, be thoughtful in deciding between these and say, what does the evidence really support um, here and then one thing he's going to encourage that is good. He's got he did three podcasts on it. I encourage you to go back and listen to all three of them if you care about this topic and you want to really dive into it. But he's going to reference primary sources. Okay. That's always key. So he actually um, plays one of Putin's speeches, for instance, in its entirety, not just taking little clips out and distorting them. He also will you know throw some stuff with Zelensky in there. Um, talk about the um, a couple of the books, primary sources, and he's going to point people to that. Does that make okay, sense? Yeah. So um, let's just go to that real quick and, and play through. We'll make some comments from time to time. Here we go. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk more about this situation. And I've been reading as much as I can from all kinds of sources and doing my utmost to apply the training that I received in grad school to piece together the truth as far as I can tell. I think this is important for a variety of reasons. Number one, there is an agenda to influence the way you're thinking about this. Behind it seems to be a number of motives, including reinforcing the idea that democracy, as an end in, of, in and of itself, is a goal. Not a means to an end, but an end in and of itself. It's a goal worthy of unlimited support and sacrifice. Also, there are powerful forces heavily invested in getting you to think about the governments of Russia and Ukraine in morally absolute terms. So you see how he's starting to break this down. This is a good way to analyze it. So you're looking for those key mockingbird words again. Whenever they say, oh, this is a threat to our democracy, that should be co-word. They're faking to the right. (laughs) (laughs) About about to cross you up because that's just, first of all, America, you know, not to be too technical, but it's it's really republic. Um, It's a constitutional republic. So that is part of the World Economic Forum language. They want to put it in a democracy, which is really a, a distortion of what this country should be. But even if you just gave, if you gave them the fact that what they're talking about is like, they're talking about basically we have the right to vote for our leaders um, okay. in, in the kind of broadest sense. But they always use that anytime someone is threatening the globalist agenda. agenda this is a threat to our democracy. Okay, gotcha. And then um, presenting it in absolutist terms is what he's saying in this okay. case. So anytime someone's doing that in this kind of caricaturist way, that should be another hint. Now, as Christians, we need a healthy dose of skepticism about man's goodness, which both of these motives relate to. It is possible that the media conceives democracy to be a tool for creating egalitarian globalist open societies. It is also possible for there to be multiple bad guys in a conflict, which is a thought not being entertained by hardly anyone right now, in the mainstream at least. James 4, 1 through 2 says this, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? This is about the church. There's a general principle here. Is it not the source... Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What's the root of this? Shouldn't we as Christians kind of assume right away, what's the root of this? How come there's been eight years, and really more than that, but there's been at least eight years of attempts to negotiate, to settle this, this particular conflict, and, and it hasn't happened, and there's conflicted interests here. Could, could not the source be pleasures that wage war? <laughs> could not be the source lust? For something, maybe for oil, hmm. maybe for, oh, I don't know, it could be economic, it could be military defense. Some of it could be reasonable. Some of it, though, could be sinful. So just knowing what we know about human nature, we should kind of be sus- suspicious of, of a hard binary narrative about this. The issue will become also one of big, uh, a big election issue. We have elections this year. 
And this will be one of the things that candidates are going to have to take a position on. And it will likely develop, just like the COVID narrative developed mm. by the time we reach the election. So it's important to steward your vote well. So we wanna, I want to start on this early. It's also important for us to pursue the things that make for peace. Christians should be about peace. Notice I'm not saying anti-war. We know war is inevitable. There's going to be war if there's sin. We just read James 4. There's going to be war. There's going to be conflict. We know that. But we should pursue the things that make for peace. That's what makes Christians unique in many contexts. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's who we should be. We should try to avoid what's going on right now. We should try to resolve things. We should be peacemakers in every area of our life. And then when it becomes inevitable, we have to defend ourselves. We do that. We champion David's mighty men. We can make these distinctions. It's possible. We don't have to be on one side of the anti-war completely and then on the other side uh, the uh, completely you know, pro-war hawkish, right? There, there is a reasonable, and I'm not saying a middle third way necessarily. What I'm saying is there's a deeper, uh, there's a... Um, there's situations in which we can be on the hawkish side of some things, especially if American interests are being threatened and it's by it's literally by sinful, evil impulses. We can, yeah, let's defend ourselves, right? We can also be in the same way. Uh, let's not get involved in that conflict. Well, we, we, you know, let's try to use another means by which to adjudicate this or this isn't our business. As I read for you two podcasts ago from Proverbs or three podcasts ago, uh, the principle is if it's not your business, you should probably stay out of it. You, you need to be careful about getting involved in things that, that don't re directly relate to you. That's up for debate in Ukraine. We've been directly related, and our influence, unfortunately, has been one of the things that has, unfortunately, led to the situation now. I don't know that the State Department of the United States is the good guy in all this. Doesn't mean Putin's a good guy, right? And this is what you got to remember. You can have multiple bad guys. Just because someone says one person isn't good, or one side isn't good, or one government isn't necessarily good, it doesn't mean the other side's good. It's also important for us to pursue knowing a little bit about the situation before applying ethics. It's not so, and you know, so far I think what he's talking about is a couple couple things. But as Christians, you know, you do have pacifist Christians. You have people, and then you have people kind of like, ah, oh, let's go to war. You know, every everything he's saying. You know, he would take the just war theory position. Um, I think Saint Augustine was one of the first to kind of lay out that systematically, but he was deriving it from biblical principles. And so I would be a, put myself in that category. There is, there is such thing as a just war. There's thing as justly defending yourself when someone comes at you. And the question would be, you know, is, um, is Putin engaging in a just war and what he's doing? And I think if he's going to discuss the three narratives, if the mainstream narrative is actually true, then no, like in no way, like this is a wicked war. It's on, on bad pretenses. He's doing, you know, targeting civilians, all, mm -hmm. all those kinds of things. It fails. But of course, you know, you're talking about people in our government that have no ethical system whatsoever. But us as biblical Christians, we would want to ask that question. Is this a just war? Um, and But in order to answer that, you have to know what he's saying. You have to actually know the particulars of the case. Like you, once you, you could even have a good theory, a good biblical understanding of the ethic itself of just war theory. But then you have to see, does this thing fit it? In order to do that, that requires historical knowledge and knowledge of what's going on in the present. I think we can just be biblical. I get, I get that sometimes. John, you shouldn't talk about politics. You just got to be biblical, right? Without any understanding of the political realities, that's just a dream. You can't be biblical. Why? Christians telling Canadian pastors to just be biblical and submit to government fail to realize the circumstances that those pastors were under. We must understand the circumstances if we are to apply biblical principles. This makes. And that's back to what we've been talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like having uh, the ability 
to understand the times, sons and daughters of Issachar, um, and to apply the Bible appropriately, you have to understand the circumstances that are going on. And that's why it's not enough to just sit in your monastery all day and just read your Bible. You have to, you have to begin to apply it. You have to be able to think through how that works. And it makes sense about a whole range of issues. I don't want to get on a, a big tangent here, but this is one of my, my issues with some seminaries, and, and this is from my own experience, is the impression that's given that you're here to know about the Bible, and that's the only thing that matters. You don't need to know about history or politics or get involved in that. You don't need to know about science, or you just need to know what the Bible says, and that's it. Well, I'm, amen, you need to know what the Bible says. Amen. Absolutely. In fact, that's the most important thing. You don't know how to navigate things ethically if you don't know what God says about it, but you need to know what, what's out there. You can't talk about historical situations you don't know anything about and apply a biblical ethic. You're going to come out wrong. You're, you're, just, you're not going to attribute the, the you're, you're going to come out with good guys being bad guys, bad be, guys being good guys, and all kinds of confusion if you just accept the narratives that are given to you by the mainstream. At this point, we need men who are humble enough to admit what they don't know. We need men who are also willing to look into important matters, especially things that they're going to comment on, uh, so they do know and they can apply what the Bible says. It's, it's, if you're going to become a pastor, this is for all those out there who are going to become a pastor, it's really important, I think. First, try to get a grounding. In, in, know, know what you're dealing with. Understand history. Understand science. Basic stuff, right? Understand uh, economics to some extent. Understand politics. Understand literature. Under, get a really good grasp of some of these things. You don't have to be an expert. The basics. But that'll give you a good grasp. Hardly anyone has it today. And then... Uh, or, or it doesn't have to be in this order, but then study what the Bible says. Go to seminary or get, get training, whatever, whatever you're looking to do, and, and you'll, you'll be far more equipped, far more. Most seminary professors, I'm just telling you, they, they, they're not, sometimes they're so specialized, they don't know kind of what's outside their area, and, and it creates errors. So I, I know I went maybe too long on that rabbit trail, but we need to be people who are willing to understand a situation before. I used to always good, use yeah. this John Wesley quote. I don't know if you remember that mm -hmm. long quote, but he was talking about that, like a minister of the gospel, first and oh, foremost, yeah. you know, he's be equipped Ooh, in the scripture. Yeah. You need to know the languages. They need to understand the Bible and its full counsel. It's the queen of the sciences. But then you also need to know metaphysics. You need to know some logic. You need to, you know, you need to be a generalist. Of each, yeah. yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. Morally applying ethics to it. So that, that's the reason, those are the reasons I think it's important for me to comment on this. And it's important for you to, to, to care a little bit about the situation. Now, look, you don't have to understand. A lot of you have busy lives, and this is, most Americans, this isn't really related to them. And they're gonna see their, their price of gas go up, you know, but th this shouldn't be related to them. The, the thing is, though, the elites care about it so much, and the media cares about it so much. Hey, man, on the prices going up. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. I stopped to fill up the bus the other day, y'all. I said, we ain't touring no more because uh, <laughs> this diesel's four sixty a gallon. Jeez, and that's probably price of normal gas right? in California, I'm sure. Listen, sheesh. Yeah. It's going to be an issue, and they're going to pull us into this issue, and they already are pulling us so much into this issue that it's good to know a little bit. And that's all I want to give you. I want to give you a little bit to, to challenge this narrative and to help you think through this as rationally and, and biblically as we possibly can. Is that fair? Is that reasonable? You don't have to listen to me if you don't want to listen to me. I just want to listen to the social justice stuff in the church. Okay, well, skip this one. We'll talk about it though a little bit, but that's not the primary focus of this. But we will talk about social justice. That's gonna come out. So with that said, mm -hmm. let's talk about the three, let's start here, the three prevailing narratives right now. What we can reasonably verify and infer about the situation, and let's then apply what we know about social justice and Christianity to the situation, okay? So we're gonna start with the three prevailing narratives that are out there right now. Of course, one of them is 
taking all the oxygen out of the room. We're in the West. But let's talk about the three that are being discussed. In By the way, just a side note, I think every pastor should be able to do what he's doing right here. Oh, boy. Now, that's not necessarily a Sunday yeah, morning message, but no what doubt. I'm saying is sending out to their congregation an analysis yeah. of worldview, I mean, world events that are going on in terms yes. of biblical truth, For sure. analyzing it as best as possible, making what inferences you reasonably can and admitting ignorance where you can, you know. For sure. And I, and I applaud. There are some pastors who are making things yep. available to their congregation so they can yep. make intelligent, <laughs> wise yeah. choices. So I, you're so right about that. Yeah, man. And there are. And it, yeah, because otherwise it's like the pietism thing. It, yeah. The world is getting more and more crazy and yet there, there's definitely inner peace and, and strength there. But then it becomes more irrelevant if you have nothing to say about things going on. Not that the Bible will ever be irrelevant. It's just, it's so disjointed right now because we should have say about a lot of things. But I hear what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and the, the ironic thing is many people aren't doing this in the name of relevance. Ah, you know, I so they're trying that. to be relevant to the cool culture often. Ah, and, um, I see what you're saying. and in doing that, okay. there's nothing more irrelevant than trying to be relevant. And, um, <laughs> it's like, you know, preaching the whole counsel of God requires mm. taking the abstract theology from up here and applying it. Like that's where you see Paul in his letters. Like he's always, he'll start out with this abstract grand theology. And then by the end, he's saying like, this is how you treat your wife. <laughs> this is how you treat your kids. That's like good. do this with the deacons, do this. With, like it's very practical yeah. connection of the lofty to the practical. But the so problem good. is when you do that, you get, that's where you get into trouble. Cause that's mm -hmm. where it puts you on a side or another in, in yeah. kind of touchy, uh, polarizing cultural issues. Mm. And that's what too often we stray away from that because we don't want to cause yeah. the dissension. Uh -huh. yeah. And so again, I think this is offering us a model. If you want to be a pastor and you're listening to this, or if you are one, like let this challenge you like to start to walk in this kind of thing, yeah. um, to be the kind of person who can help your congregation really take these ethics of the Bible and begin to apply them in real life situations. Way somewhere and consider them. Here's narrative one, and I'm gonna make this as simple as possible, as understandable as possible, and I, my goal is, I, one of them is, I hope you walk away and you understand this issue. And so I've broken it down into these three narratives. The first one is Vladimir Putin is a dictator of a totalitarian government invading Ukraine as part of his aspiration to aggressively reinstate a Soviet-style empire. He's acting against military and civilian targets. Volodymyr Zelensky is a democratically elected president championing freedom and bravery, standing up to Putin's aggression. Now, there's some truth in some of this. This is the mainstream narrative. This is what uh, all of even the evangelical elites I've seen are talking about. This is what Al Mohler's talking about on his briefing. This is what your talk radio hosts are generally talking about. This is what you're going to hear on NPR, on the major networks, uh, the major newspapers. So this is kind of the prevailing narrative. And most people don't know anything past this if they even know this. Uh, and so there, there's a contrast between Zelensky and Putin. Putin being the totalitarian dictator wanting to oppress, Zelensky being the pro-freedom, pro-democracy person. And I will tell you this, that is not entirely accurate. Uh, in, in fact, Russia would claim to be democratic in their process. Uh, Zelensky um, would, well, let's just say governments that shut down newspapers and um, have a lot of special interests and are as corrupt as Ukraine, uh, they're not perhaps democracies in the way we think of democracy in this country. But I'm going to I'm going to talk a little more about democracy at the end of this, because I think that's the social justice connection, because there's there's something going on with that word. And I read a whole book that really has helped me understand this better. But uh, that's the, the binary right there, that it's on one side, you have oppression on one side, you have freedom, one side, totalitarianism, one side, democracy. And 
and, and so um, Putin is aggressive. That's true. Putin's aggressive in this. Uh, he, he did cross the national border with his military. And uh, it is true that military targets are certainly under uh, threat and being targeted. As far as civilian targets, uh, it is, um, I, I'm going to just admit that I have some ignorance in this. I've seen the videos. I've seen the, the photos. Uh, most of them from places I can't, I have a very hard time verifying. And I am talking to missionaries on the ground. It, it, what the best picture I can get, and it's a blurry picture, seems to be that there is no systemic targeting of civilian uh, targets. Uh, there, there may be mistakes that are, are have been made, and that happens in war. And there may be some very cruel things that have happened, uh, that and that normally happens in war too. So, so far does this narrative that he's laying out the mainstream one mm-hmm. make sense of what he's talking about? You can see it there if you're watching on YouTube. He has it written out, and so. You know, he, he's again, he's saying like, yeah, the binary they're presenting where um, Vladimir Putin, you know, is totalitarian government invading the democracy of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, that's that's already a distortion. Yeah. But okay. he's also saying like this probably has some truth in it. Like, you know, it may depend on the degree of truth. The second thing is this is something I saw Biden saying the other day is like he's targeting civilians. That's what their claim is, mm-hmm. um, which would be clearly wicked and unjust if that were the case. Yeah. Um, Harris is saying he's seen these videos where supposedly he's doing that, but he's skeptical that he's systematically doing that. And that at best, that isn't like an accidental thing as a byproduct of war, which always happens to some degree. Um, but he also is, um, saying that he's not even sure about these videos. And that's where, that's what I would say as well is because I, because we were there on uh, January 6th, um, I, I've I've seen them actually create video and, and reuse stuff yeah. from old stuff. Like at this point, it's hard to even trust like what the news is presenting, what's going around on social media video wise, because um, and even in this particular case, we've seen faked um, yeah. pictures already with guns. And yeah. With cardboard guns, guns and stuff, yeah. that they've used on the news. And also um, I've, I've seen this on other resources where they have showed like this, they're showing this lady in Ukraine bloodied and well, she apparently was in the same picture five years ago and other wars that were going on the media. This happened like multiple times already. So it's like, okay, what's really going on here again? I, for me, I'm just, I'm kind of skeptical, but I'm waiting. It could be true. It could be true, but I'm not ready to jump on that uh, train yet and proclaim that with any confidence, especially when people like Biden are touting that narrative in, mm-hmm. in the World Economic Forum, all these guys. So, uh, But there doesn't seem to be a concerted effort to, you know, bomb cities the way that, um, I don't know, like like the Allies bombed cities when they were going into Germany or the way that, uh, you know, cities were bombed um, by some of the, the Japanese forces in China and things like that. It's not like World War II stuff. It's it's um, It seems like the military targets are more the concentration and strategic targets. That's a blurry picture and the situation changes every day and it could very well have already changed by the time I say this. So I'm not, uh, I I don't know. It could be that maybe there are civilian targets that are being targeted. Yeah, so it could be, you know, the fog of war is the phrase I keep hearing, which I think is true. Like you just have to be careful making any strong proclamations while we're in this fog. But I haven't seen evidence of it uh, that seems to indicate that that's, that's something, an order that has gone out uh, to the Russian military specifically, and that they're carrying it out. All right, so that's narrative one, and then you have narrative two. And this, I, I think, this gets more, is more thought through. This is not you're not going to find it many places. If you know someone who's saying this in the mainstream, let me know because I don't know anyone in the mainstream. I know people 
that are just kind of out, just off the mainstream that are saying this, but uh, that is that Ukraine and Western governments provoked Russia. So, you know, this, this has, there's a shared blame in this one, uh, but that this was the assumption, and this is what a lot of people can't handle right now, especially people who are steeped in that first narrative. Uh, they'll immediately start, you know, acting like the critical race theorists do on when they throw out the white supremacy thing. They'll, they'll start just calling you a, a pro-Putin or pro-Russia person if you believe in there's any shared blame in this situation. And I've seen it and I've been called it. So uh, I, I am starting to become familiar. And frankly, that that's what the social justice warriors do. We don't just, we, we should engage in argument. We don't just go to pejoratives here. But there's shared responsibility in this way. The Ukrainian and Western governments have provoked Russia by taking advantage of Ukraine's corruption, helping engineer the Maiden Revolution slash coup in 2014, encouraging Ukraine to join NATO. Uh, that's By the way, for those who don't know, let me just, along the way, I'll try to explain things. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization is left over from the Soviet era. Let's just be honest. It's a military alliance. And if you attack one country or you're at war with one country, you're at war with everyone. So uh, if the continuing fighting that's already going on in Ukraine we're still taking place and nato was involved and they found out russians were involved in that uh and, and let's just be honest russians probably are i think the kremlin from and one article i read said the kremlin's denying that but there there's observer, observers saying that russian body bags are going home uh, if you remember in 2014 in crimea russians came into the territory with unmarked uniforms and that kind of thing is probably happening meanwhile on the other side you have uh neo-nazi type militias harassing the pro-russian population there so there, there's been a war there now uh, for the last four years. This is just a continuation and an escalation of it. It's really important to know that. If, if you just think that Putin did this out of the blue, then, then you're ill-informed. This, this uh, conflict has been going on. And, and, and I'm, I'm totally saying right now that Russia is certainly involved in its own attempt to uh, influence that situation. And they're not being necessarily honest about it from what I understand. But, uh, but, but Russia is also provoked by this. And if uh, NATO, if they join NATO, Ukraine, then they could find themselves at war with the West. And that's, there's no way Russia can handle that. If it, Actually, their, their economy is smaller than France's and Spain's. I mean, I think it's probably around the same size as Spain's. It's smaller than France's, smaller than Germany's. I mean, it's smaller than Italy's. Uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's not this, I mean, I know the Soviet-style uh, image that you might have about Russia, but that's not who they are right now. China is immensely bigger, immensely. It's not even close in their economy and their military capability. Russia does have nukes though, That's, that is true. So um, anyway, if Ukraine joined NATO, it could it could be that nuclear missiles are put in Ukraine. That would be like nuclear missiles being put by China and Mexico. That's that's to give you somewhat of an, or, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, it's kind of like that. And there's been several indications that Ukraine wants this. They really, they want nuclear missiles and they want to be in NATO. And so if they are, that's that that becomes world war three very easily i hope you can see how that would become world war three so attempting to nullify the russian language so there's, there's been several efforts uh I, I believe mostly unsuccessful but uh, i'm willing to be corrected on that to uh get ukrainians and even those in russian-speaking areas to only speak ukrainian and, and make it against the law to speak russian in certain contexts um, but that has instigated uh, the pro-russian sentiment in the western regions especially um, supplying ukraine with billions of dollars in military funding and weapons so Ukraine's military is not solely because Ukraine's paying for military. It is Western countries, mostly the United States, sending aid. And at one time, I know they were number three. It was like Israel, Egypt, and then Ukraine was getting the most military aid from us. And then encouraging neo-Nazi militias to harm pro-Russian residents in the Donbass region. And there are some, some uh, resources at the end of this I'm going to sh give to you on this that, that you can go look up yourself and you can start, if you are skeptical about this, you can start tracing this thread. Uh, I, I don't know how direct those connections are 
with the current government. I do know that they have certainly been involved with uh, other very important political proceedings like the Maiden Revolution. And neo-Nazi uh, militias are very active in that western part of Ukraine, and, and they're certainly being equipped from somewhere. So uh, not enforcing, and, and, and Putin's accusation is that this is basically, this is the Ukrainian government that's fomenting this. So I, I don't know, but that's, that's and, he, and he's calling it a genocide. He's calling it, I mean, he's saying that this is, uh, he, I think he even said that millions of people have died. He may be exaggerating it, but, but that's certainly one of the things that he's using as a pretext here. Uh, and then you have uh, not enforcing the Minsk agreement. So th this is actually something that's really important in this. Uh, the fact that there were attempts since 2014, especially, and there, there were actually even negotiations before then, but the, the Minsk agreements since 2014 have been uh, an attempt to create, uh, to, to rectify the situation through negotiation. So Ukraine agreeing to give a level of popular sovereignty to those Western regions, let them hold their own elections, that kind of thing. Uh, and and so the problem has been actually, from what I've read, it's been Ukraine that keeps uh, toying with it and saying, well, we you know we need to renegotiate this, we need to renegotiate this, and it, it becomes as the violence is going on, it just becomes this never-ending uh, kicking the can down the road, and you know, and, and it, it hasn't produced an active ceasefire in that region. So that there's been conflict going on, and there's been no resolution, and. Um, every time Russia feels like they have a deal, it ends up Ukraine's not satisfied with it. And part of that is, too, the western end of Ukraine is not in favor of, of this. As, so the eastern part of Ukraine is more so, but the western part isn't. And so uh, where is Kiev, right? The, the president has western sympathies as well. And so he has political pressure. So you can hear the complications. Here, it's right? so complicated. <laughs> yeah. um, so this narrative, too, is kind of like diving more into those where NATO is kind of moving against uh seemingly from russia's um point of view yeah. moving in where they said they wouldn't and and mm -hmm. you know all this eastern western ukraine eastern is more for russia western da 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 so i'm just going to reread just to summarize what he said again because he's kind of given a lot of background there but narrative two basically says ukrainian and western governments provoked russia by taking advantage of ukraine's corruption helping engineer the maiden revolution slash coup encouraging Ukraine to join NATO, attempting to nullify the Russian language, supplying Ukraine with billions of dollars in military funding and weapons, encouraging neo-Nazi militias to harm pro-Russian residents in the Donbass region, mm -hmm. not enforcing the Minsk agreement, shutting down pro-Russia TV stations, harboring U.S. labs, researching biochemical weapons, and publicly committing to take back Crimea after cutting off its water supply. Out of desperation, Putin took military action to neutralize Ukraine's military capability and corrupt government in order to settle conflict over contested regions, prevent Ukraine from joining NATO, and securing nuclear capabilities and support Russian national, oh, sorry, natural gas interests. Mm, okay. Now, I think this is kind of what Putin is saying in his speeches. Okay. So this narrative, too, is kind of his, his stance. perspective okay. and what he's saying explicitly that he's doing, if I'm not mistaken, that's part of that. And, uh, you know, you could have parts of this that are true. You get a parts of one. It's not necessarily mutually exclusive, but the, if you adopt a full version of either one of these, then they cancel it, you know, that you wouldn't be able to hold to both of them, but you could have parts of both that are kind of brought together in a, in a coalescive way. If you want to grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, 
want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it. And we'll see you this summer. So that makes them valuable as well. So that's part of it, too. Now, um, the first thing that I mentioned is the corruption in Ukraine. And uh, I'm not going to go into an itemized uh, detail on that. It, It actually would be overwhelming. And I don't have it on the tip of my tongue or filed in my head. I've read a number of things on it, and it's, it's pretty amazing how corrupt things are, have been. But don't take my word for it. Here's President Trump and what he said about Ukraine. Deserted. But you don't have to ask him. All you have to do is read the transcript, read the telephone call. But what I was having a problem with are two things. Number one, Ukraine is known before him for ter- tremendous corruption. Tremendous. More than just about any country in the world. In fact, they're rated one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And I don't like giving money to a country that's that corrupt. So this is President Trump, and this is after that, that whole issue about his phone call with, the, with Ukraine, but he, uh, he, he's vocalizing what most people know. There, there was an independent organization that rated Ukraine as, in Europe, the third most corrupt state, and that was the, recently. Uh, there was, in fact, before this narrative, narrative one was the only narrative that we were allowed to think, uh, the New York Times was even publishing things. There was, there was an article I saw in the New York Times from, I think, uh, and just as an aside, you could hold to that view. They, they said this independent company rated Ukraine as a, like the third most corrupt, corrupt country. Okay. You could hold to that and still, you know, have compassion and pray for the people for of sure. Ukraine. It's really a distinct thing. So right now, we might feel like our our government in the right. U.S. is one of the most corrupt in the world, if you could even call it a government. Um it's so it's like, yeah, you know, we have Americans that are that are trying to stand in the gap and For resist sure. this Living what's there, happening. Yeah. And then you have the corrupt government itself. So it's important to make that a distinction as well. That That's when good. we're talking about this narrative, too, you could subscribe to this narrative, but still say, let's pray for the people yeah. and, and let's and stand with yeah. those who are losing their lives. For sure. I was 19, if I'm not mistaken, that was just raking Zelensky over the coals because he can't he's weak. He can't fight corruption. He's. Uh, he's, he's just part of the, the system that he was supposed to reform. So that, that has been an issue. They're not pure as the driven snow, and they're not like this honest democracy. There, there's a lot of things going on there behind the scenes. Uh, NATO expansion is, is part of this narrative as well, that the North Atlantic Treaty Organization member states keep moving farther and farther east, and that is a threat in Russia's mind. And, and why wouldn't it be? I mean, it was started pretty... I mean, it's... Prominence. The, the reason you know about NATO probably is because of how they challenge the Warsaw Pact. And now countries that were, were part of the Warsaw Pact are now part of NATO. And NATO keeps pushing east. And the understanding that Russia has is, and, I, and I'm giving you websites, all the links will be at the end, is that this, uh, and this from the National Security Archive uh, website, that they were given guarantees that NATO wouldn't do that, that they wouldn't move past a certain point. They wouldn't move past, I think it was Berlin. They weren't, weren't going to go farther east than that. And uh, and so they feel as though 
the agreements have been breached. In fact, when you hear Putin talk about this stuff, it almost sounds like those old Western movies where you have a Native uh, American person talking about how the white men lie. You know, their treaties are lies. I mean, it really sounds like that. And, and that's how Russians feel about this. And so I'll let you determine that for yourself, but you can go read the agreements, and, and there are a number of them. Uh, most of them, verbal agreements from United States Secretary of States, you know, diplomats saying, you know, NATO's not gonna infringe on you, NATO's not a threat, we're not gonna move farther east. We're, and, and Russia took some of these things seriously. And now it's like, well, actually, you know, we've, take, I don't even remember how many now are in NATO of the former Warsaw Pact countries, but, but a bunch of them are. And now it's like, well, yeah, you know, the United States just recently said, yeah, I mean, NATO can take Ukraine, sure. And, and that's seen as a broken promise by Russia. You also have, um, like I said, this, this neo-Nazi militia thing. I thought it was interesting that, I, so I was reading a book and it's, it's a, I couldn't find biographies of Zelensky. I was looking for, there's tons of them of Putin and most of them just really, really, really anti-Putin. I tried to find the most objective one I could. I wanted to know the good, but I wanted to know the bad. And I think I got one that was pretty good, to be honest with you. Uh, talks about Putin, talks about how people disappear around him, kind of like the Clintons, how, you know, he's, uh, he tends to neutralize his political opponents, um, but he's also a guy who likes order a lot. He's very he's very loyal. He's he uh, he's actually an interesting character. He respects order, gradualism. He doesn't like drastic changes quickly. He's pretty stoic. He's shrewd. He's got a sense of a higher purpose. Uh, not really interested in personally enriching himself, but he he is all about his country. And uh, he's so so this is a weird situation. He, he is kind of like, he doesn't like really, doesn't like politics. He's kind of your disinterested leader there, but loves his country. And he happens to be very uh, against anti-Semites, Putin. Believe it or not, he's being called a Nazi all the time, but he's actually very against anti-Semites. But on the other side- That's an interesting point, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, he's actually claiming at least to take out these Nazis in Ukraine that are yeah. being like secretly kind of Trying propped invade, up by yeah, the government. Wow. Um, okay. And sorry, I thought we were jumping in narrative three, but he's still kind of in two here. But that that was another piece of it that I found was interesting. Like he's pointing out like that Putin has some like Clinton type, you know, people around him just seem to disappear <laughs> that, that are against him, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and if that's true, that's awful. You know, I mean, we that there's some of the worst offenders on the world stage. But on the other hand, you have Putin that's one of the few. Um, in the whole world that stood up against the World Economic Forum mm. explicitly and publicly, he's actually stands against LGBTQ movements mm. and the wokeness, like Marxism, all that kind of stuff. That's so interesting, yeah. um, it's just it's interesting that he happens to come out of this whole narrative. Uh, narrative one is the one the mainstream to the to an extreme version. Um, and he just happens to be standing against that globalist agenda. Yeah. That is interesting. Isn't that interesting? Very so another so. thing that makes me just, things just that make you go, things hmm. to know. It's complicated, but that is a very important point yes. to know for sure. Yes. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here just for time's sake. Um, but again, I encourage you to go back and watch this whole mm -hmm. thing if you're interested in this topic, because he really does lay it out well and he has those resources that you can click on and do further studies. So let me clip forward here. Even there, there's a, there's kind of a civil war type of thing going on in Western and Eastern Ukraine between the two. And, and when, you, when you understand that, some, this kind of stuff becomes understandable. You understand why this would be in a pro Zelensky, because uh, there's going to be people who like the fact that you got a guy like Kolomoisky, um, you know, financing this. They, they want that. So it's it, it's interesting. So uh, that's one of the things. Uh, let's see here. Um, Zelensky said that, he said, I have instructed the foreign ministry to convene a summit of the country's signatories, in, uh, signatories to the Budapest Memorandum. If it fails to take place or refuses to give Ukraine security guarantees, Kiev will recognize it as well as the clauses signed in 1994 as null and void. So 
Um, this is the Budapest Memorandum of 1994. This was about, this was a guarantee that Ukraine would not uh, have, they would not have their own nuclear arsenal. And so Zelensky, this is recently, uh, within, I believe this was either 2019 or 2020, he said, we're, we're getting rid of this. Hmm. We're, we're gonna, we're, we need to get rid of this thing. We, he, he wants, that's, that's signaling, we want nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Oh boy. So Zelensky has uh, done this, and, and this is why Putin's getting nervous. He's saying, well, you know, what was that agreement then? Well, like, can we trust anything? Can we, uh, this, the, he, Russia thinks that challenges their security. Ukraine, though, feels threatened by Russia. So that, that's the sentiment. Taking back Crimea, this is another thing. President of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, signed a decree, number 117, slash 2021 of March 24th, 2021, on the strategy of the deoccupation and reintegration of the temporary occupied territory of the Autonomous Republic of Crimea and the city of Sevastopol. Now, this uh, happened in, let's see, March, right? And uh, that same month, the Department of Defense announces $125 million for Ukraine in military spending. Uh, you also have nice. Secretary Anthony, uh, Anthony Blinken and the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky at a joint press conference in which <laughs> our own country says, yeah, we're totally with Ukraine on this. They need to go take back the Crimea and we're with them. So that happened just last year, less than a year ago, uh, well, almost a year ago, to, you know, it was March of last year. This is when this happened. So that, that was one of the things that contributed. And there's a map here for those looking. You can see the Luhansk and Donetsk uh, regions of the eastern part of Ukraine, which are um, where a lot of, especially Donetsk, where the, the violence is going on, where the conflict has been going on. Uh, Crimea, you can see down at the bottom, it's not colored, but it's the um, area that juts out there. Very strategic, uh, of strategic importance. And Russia, is, it's a, until you get to the, the mountains, it, it's this big plain that kind of funnels north and south from this pass here. Uh, at, at the western end of Ukraine. And it's hard for Russians to defend that. But traditionally, throughout time, and, and there's been many situations where Russia's been invaded, uh, so you can understand why they would feel like we could this could happen again. They, are, they use this region uh, in Ukraine, the western end, to defend uh, themselves of, of what's now Ukraine. So a little side note about the map there. Um, and so here's a, a poll. This is uh, from the Pew Research Center, and it shows eastern and western Ukraine. And this is how they divided it to poll. And it's divided pretty evenly in half. And so they weren't able to survey the really pro-Russian areas, Crimea, Donetsk, uh, Luhansk, but they were able to, to survey just Western Ukraine, other than those. And, and, and so that would tell you that this number would even be more exaggerated. But in, more adults in Eastern than Western Ukraine look to Russia as the protector of ethnic. Yeah, that's an interesting stat right there. If you're looking on here on YouTube, it says more adults in Eastern than Western Ukraine look to Russia as protector of ethnic Russians mm. in Ukraine. Okay. So you have 54% in the East agreeing with that. Only 25% in the West agreeing, 58 disagreeing in the West and 27% in the East disagreeing. So it's kind of like, I, I don't, he may even say this, but it, it reminds me, it would be like living in New York versus Alabama. You know how like you have a lot more people in Alabama that would hold to conservative mm -hmm. view in New York is going to be a lot more progressive, a lot more blue. So radically different worldviews within um, okay. Ukraine here in that mm -hmm. same way. 54% agreed in the East, 25% in the West. Shows you a huge difference. Eastern Ukraine tends to side more with Russia. They tend to be more pro-Russian. Uh, same thing with the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, in fact, that's a very complicated situation I'm not going to get into as well. But uh, they tend to um, side with the Russian Orthodox Church in Eastern Ukraine. And in Western Ukraine, it's the Ukrainian Orthodox Church uh, based in Kiev. So uh, there's a big cultural difference here. 
And you, you might be thinking, well, maybe it'd be better if they're just kind of two countries. And I, I've shared my thoughts sometimes about the United States on this, too. I've said, look, you've got a lot of states that are completely different than other states, and may, maybe it would be better uh, in some ways if, if they could just part peacefully. And, and maybe, maybe that would be a, a peaceful agreement rather than one side feeling like they have to live with a, a president and a Congress or, or a court that you know, not of their choosing that they disagree with on just about every issue. Uh, but we're not the only country uh, like that. And, and let's go Florida and Texas. Come on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, this is a, a, a problem. So when we think of Ukraine, don't just think of like, oh, it's, it's just one sovereign country that has borders that have always been this way. Think of it as this. These borders have changed uh, many times over the last few hundred years. And the, the, where we are right now, it's cramming people who don't feel the same ways about some fundamental things together. There's a, a different identities going on here. Um, half of Russians say it would be uh, right to use military force to keep Ukraine out of NATO. That's how scared Russia is. This is a CNN poll from February 23rd of 2022, so recently. Hmm. You can see in this chart that the military aid to Ukraine from the United States has gone way up. Uh, and this is only goes to 2020, but I'm sure it's skyrocketing right now. And so uh, the Russians are seeing that. And then the U.S. bioweapons labs. Uh, it's now reported that the... <laughs> Uh, bio, so someone needs to get this to like Tucker Carlson, I think. Um, he's, he's one person in the mainstream that I think would talk about this. And he's, he's taking a view of the situation that I, I find to be more reasonable. But he says, or, or uh, this, this website says, and I verified it, it is true, that one day after reporting on the U.S. bio labs in Ukraine, U.S. Embassy scrubs all Ukraine bioweapon lab docs from website. That's always a cue as That's well. That's interesting. Right? One day after reporting on U.S. bio labs in you Ukraine. Know, he mentioned this word, and I'm hearing that a lot now yeah. about Ukraine. It's a sovereign state. That's another mm. buzzword, and I think yeah. they don't mind using that word for them. Listen. But here, <laughs> it's like um, America dare not be that. Listen, yeah. isn't that, isn't that it's very interesting. ironic? The same exact people. Okay. So this is actually funny because John wrote this on YouTube. Okay. So he said know the rules okay. and this is he's being sarcastic here but according to the left in essence you must be outraged that ukraine's borders were violated yes you must support yes. ukrainian civilians with guns see admire ukrainian masculinity mm. champion ukrainian nationalism see decry mm. destroyed ukrainian statues and businesses mm. you must also support american border violations be outraged about American civilians with gun, guns, See. decry American masculinity, castigate American nationalism, and further the destruction of American statues mm. and businesses for anti-racism. So yeah. it's the exact opposite sure. here, which makes you, which lets you know it's not a principled thing. Yeah. Um, so is it is it mere hypocrisy, or is it actually? that their side is only consistent within the globalist framework. Mm. And that, that is the question that for me. It. Really makes you suspicious. Vladimir Putin's advisor said last year, April 21, uh, that the U.S. is developing biological weapons near Russia. So that's another thing that they're very upset about. Why is Ukraine letting the United States develop biological weapons near their border? That's what they think. And you, you think, well, that may not be true. They're just studying American? biological weapons. Well, yeah, well, we saw what happened was. last or two years ago. So a little more over two years ago, we, we know with the COVID stuff, what, what's been going on. So uh, and then here's um, th this is the, the, the idea that there's foreign interests uh, taking advantage of Ukraine uh, against Russia, against Russian interests. And, and, and I should be clear about this. Russia has been very overt at times about their support for particular candidates in Ukraine. And and so they, they and I'm sure they've sent in advisors. I'm sure they, they've tried tried to manipulate things themselves. So it's either a case that they haven't been as successful or they've just been so overt and honest about it. 
and up front that it's it's obvious that they support certain candidates or certain candidates are uh, have supported them in the past whereas we haven't been quite that way uh, and and neither has uh, have other interests, including George Soros. So this is George Soros commenting on the maiden revolu revolution slash coup that took place in 2014. George Soros. I set up a foundation in Ukraine before Ukraine became independent of uh, Russia. Um, and the foundation has been uh, functioning ever since. And it played a, an important part in events now. So George Soros uh, saying, yeah, I uh, I helped with this. So why is George Soros involved in this? Nothing to see there. <laughs> what other NGOs are over there? Why were we involved? Why is there a recording of Victoria Nuland from that time talking to the future president of Ukraine about regime change? Yasenik to become prime minister. And he did. Why? Why? Why is that out there? You can look it up. It's online. Probably on YouTube. Uh, I've listened to to parts of it. Um, we were definitely involved, and so there's there's a suspicion on Russia's part of the West is bringing Ukraine into the orbit of the West, and uh, and that doesn't just mean it's not just the West, but it's also perhaps a globalist agenda as well. Which brings us really to the third narrative here uh, that Vladimir Zelensky is in an alliance with globalists like George Soros and the World Economic Forum who want Ukraine in their orbit and in opposition to Putin and his traditional Christian nationalism. And this is propelling Putin into the economic orbit of China, which also values nationalism and the con conflict in Ukraine concerns competing global visions between two super alliances. Now this, this could be true. Narrative two could be true. And this can be true. And there could be aspects of one that are all true. Uh, the reason some people are saying this, and there's probably way deeper reasons that if I had time to look into, I would, but the, here's some of the things that are floating around out there. And I so, yeah, so here's some of the, the things that make people think that he's just going to okay. play a couple clips. If you're watching here, you can see Zelensky speaking at the World Economic Forum. This is the annual meeting in 2020. Okay. Into this whole speech, go, I encourage you, go, if you really want to understand this, go listen to President Vladimir Zelensky speaking at the World Economic Forum in 2020. Here's one of the things he said. We do not have sufficient investments. We propose to all of you to be the stakeholders and shareholders of the success of the new Ukraine today for the pragmatic and falsified world drastically once miracle and the world economy on the verge of the new global crisis needs economic miracle. Ukraine is the place where miracles come true. So, and it gets, in some ways it gets worse actually when Klaus Schwab starts questioning him and they have this little discussion. But he, he used the word stakeholders there. He's talking to an audience at the World Economic Forum. These are the globalists of the globalists. And he's telling them all, we want you to be stakeholders in the new Ukraine. Okay. And that's where the economic miracle can happen. I mean, look what he's saying. This is 2020. <laughs> he's saying, hey, come on over, implement your ideas here. This is the place to do it. Uh, this, that's a scary prospect for Russia. Um, yeah. yeah, so just hold on to that for a second. Like Zelensky is at the World Economic mm -hmm. Forum saying let's partner in essence. Yeah. Putin is standing against the World Economic Forum. These jokers got resources all over the world. So just a thought when when we're getting the narrative, the Mockingbird media is definitely connected to a lot of these guys and a lot of their agenda. So that's one reason I think again to be skeptical of whatever they're putting out. Even if this third narrative isn't completely yeah. true. You know, the WEF, not not exactly, uh, not exactly the, the, the place where uh, Putin's popular. Uh, here's a Ukraine um, MP, Kira Rudik, expressing her determination to fight for the new world order. 
right now it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. We knew that we are the shield for the Europe. That is a very telling comment. Uh, and, and you could get, I mean, you could get from the United States, like a Democrat senator saying something that doesn't represent all the people, right? So I, I want to be careful with this. But these are the things that are floating around out there that people are like, this is, this, there's globalism, you know, at, at play here. Um, here's uh, just on some moral issues, which happen, that, that, these play into it. The breakdown of the family is, is part of that globalist agenda. Um, so let's what he said there, you know, don't slide by that either. Like the breakdown of the family, the globalist agenda going back all the way, probably mm. even earlier than this. Um, the uh, I forget the the foreign council, um, foreign uh, foreign relations council or something like that. But they they were very involved in a lot of the writings of the sexual revolution and propping that up with the with the aim and the intention of destroying the family. And that is documented. I have a book I'm reading called The Global Sexual Revolution, where that's all thoroughly documented, um, quotes, footnotes, everything. So these folks that were, and again, they think they're doing a good thing. They think it's good to break people into like these small atoms, get them, get them rid of families and tribalism, let the state be the provider and um, the protector of everything, and then make these people where they can basically be free um, from these kind of ties to family. Mm. Um, wow. So, you know, this is the same thing here. Um, the World Economic Forum is just the newer branding of that whole organization that's been part of this for many, many years. On homosexuality. Now, you got to understand Ukraine, a lot of the more Catholics uh, reside in the West. Uh, there's uh, also, though, you know, Eastern Orthodox and then there's Russian Orthodox in the East. And um, it, they're, they're not very, I mean, Russia is very against homosexuality, Ukraine against homosexuality. And yet uh, Zelensky is paving a way to make that more acceptable. There was a, uh, an article in Euronews, um, and, I, and I looked up, you can go to Wikipedia and look up like LGBT rights in, uh, I think the page is LGBT rights in Ukraine. You can see how, how unsuccessful their marches have been until very recently. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, a former comedian who took office last month, has promoted a tolerant culture saying he stands for all people's equality and freedom. Uh, Zelensky's office urged the police to prevent violence and guarantee the safety of the participants in the March for, of Equality. Ukraine's constitution states that citizens have equal constitutional rights and freedom, said the president's office on its Facebook page on Sunday morning. Ukraine hosts the largest ever gay pride parade. So he's using this more general language, but he's, he is paving the way for something that uh, the Ukrainian culture and Ukrainian citizens would be very against. Here's, um, here, here's a uh, question and answer at, at a forum where Zelensky addresses this even more, and you can, you can listen to just think about it like if it was America in 1994. You know, and, and the same thing came up. Uh, that's kind of how you have to think about this. He's saying you'll, you'll stop the George Soros uh, program committee of 300 spreading perversity and homosexuality. He, so he's asking Zelensky these questions, and he's got a big cross around his neck. He says, will you prevent the legalization of prostitution and abortion? So, so he's saying, are, are you going to do what your predecessor did? Are you going to keep following the George Soros uh, model? Which is interesting. Open Society is actually George Soros' foundation. They have a whole page where they talk about the millions they give to Ukraine and what they do with it. I, I looked it up earlier. And so, he, so, so Zelensky responds. He says, I don't know Mr. Soros. Uh, he says, I'm not his toady. So I, you know, he's saying he's distancing himself. He's like, I'm not engaged in the legalization of prostitution. I don't know George Soros. Uh, it doesn't exist in this country. 
може бути тільки через законодавство України, через зміну законодавства. He's saying if anything is going to be legal, it's got to change based on legislation. So notice the, the argument he's giving. This is what we heard going. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm replaying the path to Obergefell. This was what all Obergefell, remember, was the legalization of homosexual marriage in, in the U.S. So it's, it's the same playbook, his language. Okay. He's saying is this is what Obama was saying back then before this was implemented in the U.S., which, again, will automatically alert people to possible connections with Soros and World Economic Forum, their whole way that they do these color revolutions and up, like basically go against a society to change their laws and change their mind Ooh, on these issues. Wow. Okay. Conservatives uh, who were actually before them, it was all the progressives saying this, then the conservatives, quote unquote, started saying this. And now it's like, well, it's just, it's part of the law. But they were saying that they were saying, they started saying the, focusing on the process instead of the the morality of it so it, the answers weren't like this is wrong yeah. uh, or this is Just right the, it, it, yeah. they'd yeah, sidestep that and they'd say well it's uh you know we have a process and as long as the process was working you know people voted and legislation people were elected and, and there was legislation approving of same-sex marriage or something well then it was implied that that was okay but we don't, we don't want these activist judges right or we don't so that, i feel like i'm, I'm replaying this because he's sidestepping the moral component and he's he's all he's focusing on is the procedure here these jokers are brilliant. Mm. I got to give them that. Wow. Sheesh. So here's the key part. He says, regarding LGBT, I don't want to say anything negative because... We all live together in an open society where each one can choose the language they want to speak their ethnicity. Everyone can choose their ethnicity. Okay. And sexual orientation. And he says, leave those people be. For God's sake. That, that's what he says. Leave those people be, for God's sake. Oh yeah, he's uh, pro. This is, oh, yeah. you are watching Ukraine, and, and they, they know it. They're going down the same path that the Western countries went down decades ago. And they're starting it. Uh, and Zelensky is bringing that kind of thing in. Uh, so, um, or at least one of the things, uh, one of the people. Uh, so, uh, so, so that's some of my commentary. I want to go over some resources with you that I think will help you in this. Um, first, here's some links for giving help for Ukrainian refugees, Slavic Gospel Association. Yeah, I'll let you, again, go to the episode if you want those links so you can look into this stuff and verify it for yourself. But interesting stuff, right? Any thoughts on those three narratives? I mean... Or anything at all? It's just so many layers it's so complicated it feels so far but yet so connected to our country right. our nation via our leaders and government and so you know one of the things i was thinking is that it seems like the the, the massive shift from the focus of COVID mm. to this yeah, man. and i was like man it almost feels like whiplash it's like COVID, 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 and they have the mandates and then all of the the legalities of just people suing companies and being fired for not having the vaccines and now Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine. And and so it's like mm. the media almost wants to enter our, our, our souls and tells and, and just declare what we should yeah. be worried about, what the fear should be. And then the talk to me, I, I remember hearing talks about the, the the nukes and if Ukraine got hold of nuclear warfare and Russia has it and then this could be the third world war and I say okay great there's here's another fear engineering yeah. thing that they want us to focus on but I think this here is so massively complicated and there's 
you've got to really dig. I mean, yep. I mean, more than research to figure out what's really going on. And, and for that reason, I feel like this this could be something that we, we, we probably should keep our eye on and yeah, definitely yeah. Um, be aware of. And then there's talk about China, China with Taiwan and all that right. and all these other things going on that's somehow tied. Yep. And so my thing is pray, wait and see, let this thing evolve. But certainly whatever I, I have such a distrust for the media, whatever they're promoting, I'm with you, love. Yeah, I don't trust it. I don't um, see how anybody could trust it at this point, whatever. Yeah. Is connected to Soros. I know, man. And, and I, the global elites. I'm like, mm, not that, like you said, not that Putin's innocent, not that we're innocent, and certainly the Ukraine government. And so, um, yeah, it's yeah. wild. It's wild. And I, and I was surprised to see how many people that lived through COVID <laughs> and saw what was happening just kind of fall right on, right on track with this one without thinking about it. But it's okay if you did that, you know, yeah. just look like... We're all waking up at different phases yeah. to their agenda, to what they're doing. But I, but I just want to encourage you, if you get nothing else from this episode, let's stop going for the head fake. Stop going for the crossover. <laughs> like if, if they got the big eyes and they're yeah. moving to the right, just know what's about to come. They're about to cross you up. If they get a big head, throw the, throw the hands up like a, like a shot fake. Just don't go for it, man. Stop. We got to, we got to, we got to, we got to stop going for it. And so next time something comes through, sweeps through like this social media thing, it's okay not to post in the first day. In fact, we should just make it a rule, 48 hour rule. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever post anything within the first 48 hours on events that are happening. And then it, even then, like, look who's supporting it and let that be your initial like prima facie evidence. Like it's, you know, that's not mathematical certainty that George Soros is, is uh, for it, so it must be false, but it's pretty close. <laughs> um, but right. you know, if if yeah, if these guys are promoting it, I think that's enough for you to pause and really take a, a stronger look at it, and hopefully, uh, this will just give you a picture of how you could even begin to go about that. And mm -hmm. I think John Harris did us all a favor by just giving that you know an hour long podcast or whatever on how to approach these issues. So, any final words? Nope, we said it long. Awesome. Well, if you can, um, if you if you can, give us a, a review on Apple. It still helps us get the get the word out um, before they before they uh, cancel us on there. Uh, also, YouTube. If you can, like, go ahead and hit the thumbs up, subscribe, and uh, it, it just it, every time you do that, it helps the algorithm helps it helps the podcast get out there a little bit more, so people might be able to hear it and hopefully be helped by it. Uh, until next time, we will see you then. Thanks for listening.